ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय November 7th, Kadasi 2011 in Melbourne, Australia, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 3, Krishna is the source of all incarnations, this is the last verse in the chapter, text 44. Tatra kirtayato vipra, vipra share bhuri Aham Chadyagamam Tatra Nivistastaranugrahat Soham Vashra Vaishyami Yatadhitam Yatamati There, Kirtiyataha, while reciting Vipraha, O Brahmanas, Vipra Rishihe, from the great Brahmana Rishi, Bhuri, greatly, Tejasaha, powerful, Aham, I, Cha, also, Ajagamanam, could understand, Tatra, in that meaning, Nivishtaha, being perfectly attentive. Tat Anugrahat by his mercy. Saha, that very thing. Aham, I, Vaha, unto you. Sha Vaishyami shall let you hear. Yata Aritam Yata Mati as far as my realization. Translation in purport by Srila Prabhupada. O learned Brahmanas, when Shukadeva Goswami recited Bhagavatam, there in the presence of Emperor Parikhit, I heard him with rapt attention, and thus by his mercy I learned the Bhagavatam from that great and powerful sage. Now I shall try to make you hear the very same thing as I learned it from him, and as I have realized it. Purport. One can certainly see directly the presence of Lord Sri Krishna in the pages of Bhagavatam if one has heard it from a self-realized great soul like Shukadeva Goswami. So what's our goal in hearing Bhagavatam? To see Krishna. Okay, and the first qualification you have to? Hear it from someone who's a great self-realized soul. So you noticed that Sutta Goswami is saying it, I'm going, saying that I'm going to preach it as far as I have realized it. One cannot, however, learn Bhagavatam from a bogus, hired reciter whose aim of life is to earn some money out of such recitation and employ the earning in sex indulgence. So it's giving the positive who you should hear it from and the negative who you should not hear it from. No one can learn Srimad Bhagavatam who is associated with persons engaged in sex life. That is the secret of learning Bhagavatam. Nor can one learn Bhagavatam from one who interprets the text by his mundane scholarship. So here we have, we talked about this the other day. Also, we have two kinds of bogus reciters here. So what are the two kinds? 
one who makes a living out of Bhagavatam, and especially who's making a, engaged in sex life, gross and subtle sex life, and he's using Bhagavatam to facilitate that. That doesn't mean, just like those of you who live in the ashram, in one sense you're making your living out of hearing and reciting the Bhagavatam, aren't you? Right? You're, this is what you're doing. And in exchange for doing that, you're given a place to stay and food to eat and clothes to wear. And isn't this a fact? So you could say that you're making your living out of hearing and reciting the Bhagavatam. What do you do? I distribute Prabhupada's books and that's what gives me a place to stay. So what, what is the difference? The difference is that the devotees, they're interested in hearing and reciting the Bhagavatam. And they're grateful for whatever maintenance Krishna gives them. They're not doing it for the maintenance. You know, like sometimes a woman marries a rich man just for his money. So if you marry a man because you love him and he also takes care of you, that's very different than marrying him so that he'll give you a lot of money. It's a, perhaps it's a little subtle, but it's a difference. It's quite a difference. So persons who have their business, how do you tell who's a professional, what did Prabhupada say, a bogus hired reciter whose aim of life is to earn some money out of such recitation and employ the earning in sex indulgence. So what's this person's aim? Money and sex life. That's their purpose. And they're using the Bhagavatam. As far as they're concerned, they could be making money doing anything. They could be selling shoes. And they've just seen that Bhagavatam is a lucrative way to make a living. Do they have any interest in the Bhagavatam? Any love for the Bhagavatam? No. Are they trying to live by the Bhagavatam? No. No, not trying to that oh, they're not in other words, not trying to mold their life by the Bhagavatam. They're not trying to become a living Bhagavatam. And there are certainly we have many members of the Hare Krishna movement who maintain themselves by preaching Bhagavatam. In fact, we consider that wonderful. You know, if you talk to householders and they say, I maintain my family by distributing Prabhupada's books, you wouldn't say, Ah, bogus reciter. <laughs> Better to work for a shoe factory. Right? So I want to see what is the person's aim of life? What is their goal of life? Where, where is their heart? And sometimes that's a little difficult to tell. But also, what is one doing? So if one is simply a materialistic person and reciting Bhagavatam kind of on the side, you know, someone give, they'll give a Bhagavatam recital and then they go smoke cigarettes and they go to the movies and so forth and so on. So that's pretty easy to tell in that case. And then the other kind of bogus reciter is uh, someone who what? Gives his own interpretation according to mundane scholarship. So there are not a lot of such people in the world, uh, but there are professors in universities who study the Bhagavatam. One time when I was visiting my mother, she had to stay in the apartment of a neighbor because we had there were a lot of relatives there. And this neighbor had a two sons, one who was a lawyer and one who was a psychologist. The psychologist's son had published a book and the lawyer father had the son's book out on his coffee table in the house. So I just opened it up, looked at the table of contents and there was something about Krishna's Rasa Leela in it. Well, that's interesting. You know, so I turned to the section and it was all just speculative interpretation. I remember seeing this uh, Hindi with English subtitles, Ramayan and the Ramayana itself was nice, but in the beginning they had this sannyasi saying that when you watch the Ramayana, you become Ram. You become Sita. And you become Ravana. And I'm like, why would I want to become Ravana? 
So this is, this is the, they're, you know, they have some sort of strange interpretation, or one of them was saying, you know, something like, that Ravana is stealing the Atma of Ram, and this is all these concocted, you know, like people who say that the battle of Krukshetra, Krukshetra is the body, and the Pandavas are the five senses, and they make up something. And Prabhupada would say, you can go to Krukshetra, it's a place. And the Pandavas were real people. You know, this is not, it's not allegory. So those, some of those scholars may be very austere persons. They may, they may be persons who are in love with their work. They're not, just, they're not just studying Bhagavatam to get money to be a gross materialist. There are many scholars and professors who are, they have some Brahminical qualities, you could say, some Brahminical tendencies, but they're just speculating. So we shouldn't hear Bhagavatam from either of those people, from somebody who's just... They have no love for the Bhagavatam. They're doing it just as a profession. Or someone who does have some love for Bhagavatam, but in a, in a perverted way, maya paritagyana, their illusion is stealing their knowledge. They're really in love, I suppose, we could say, with their own intelligence. One has to learn Bhagavatam from the representative of Sukadeva Goswami and no one else if one at all wants to see Lord Krishna in the pages. That is the process, and there is no alternative. One of the things we like about Srila Prabhupada is he was told us the truth. Even when it sometimes wasn't so pleasant for our sense gratification. <laughs> Sukadev Goswami is a bona fide representative. Sutta Goswami is a bona fide representative of Sukadeva Goswami because he wants to present the message which he received from the great learned Brahmana. So he doesn't want to change anything. Why do we change things? So we'll look good. No, he just wants to present it as it is. Sukadev Goswami presented Bhagavatam as he heard it from his great father, and so also Sutta Goswami is presenting Bhagavatam as he had heard it from Sukadev Goswami. Okay, now it's still the same paragraph, but now Srila Prabhupada is going on to a different topic. So first he's talking about if you want to see, if you want to what? See Krishna in the pages of Bhagavatam. If you want to see that Bhagavatam and Krishna are identical, first thing is you have to hear from the right from the right person, from a self-realized person who's not changing anything. And who to hear from and who to... In case you weren't sure, what does that mean? He's saying this is what's not it. Okay, now he's going on to another topic. What topic do you think he's going to go on to now? What's the second qualification to see Krishna in the Bhagavatam? One was the speaker, and now he's probably going to go on to the... Here... So I give a series of seminars to teachers and preachers. And in this series of seminars, we start off by saying all the responsibility for learning is the teachers. That if your students haven't learned, you haven't taught. You can't come in and say, I taught, I covered the material, I discussed everything on the list, and people walk out and they didn't learn anything. Well, that's their problem that the teacher has to have the mood, I'm responsible to cause you to learn. And I said, if you don't think that way, there's no point in learning how to be a good teacher. Why would you care? Just come up and present it anyway, as long as it's not your responsibility. So in order to be a good teacher, in order to be here an empowered preacher, I think most of us, at least in this room, are trying to be empowered preachers of the Bhagavatam, right? Isn't it? I hope. Yes? Or 
Are you hoping that someday you'll be an empowered preacher of the Bhagavad Gita? We're all supposed to be that, not just one or two or three. Prabhupada said, all of you should become gurus. doesn't necessarily mean we all give people a new name, but all of us should become empowered preachers of the Bhagavatam. And that's predicated on the understanding that my potency as a preacher is very important as far as whether or not anybody realizes anything. If you don't believe that, if you believe that you have no responsibility, why should you try to purify yourself to be a preacher? But I tell the teachers that that's not absolutely true. You can't say that the teacher has 100% of the responsibility for the students to learn. I said, if I was talking to students, who would I say has 100% of the responsibility? The students. So now Srila Prabhupada is going to go, what is the responsibility of the hearer? Simple, going on with the purport. Simple hearing is not all. One must realize the text with proper attention. The word nivista means that Sutta Goswami drank the juice of Bhagavatam through his ears. So I mentioned this verse yesterday, if anybody remembers. What verse is Srila Prabhupada referring to here with this one line? Yes. Pipantiye Bhagavata Atmanasatam Pitamrita Shravana Puteshu Samritam. Punantite Vishaya Vidusita Swayam. Vrajanti Tachcharana Saroruhantikam. Vrajanti Tachcharana Saroruhantikam. One will get the lotus feet. Charana, the lo- one will enter into the lotus of Krishna's feet. But, but when you drink the Bhagavatam, it enters into the holes of the ears, it enters into the heart. There's Katamritam. Katam, the, the Amrita, the nectar, very much reminds us of the Rasayana verse in 325.25. That, that Bhagavatam is like a Rasayana. So one must drink this Bhagavatam. And as I mentioned yesterday, this verse, and I know this from hearing from Radhika Raman, who did his PhD thesis on Jiva Goswami, that Jiva Goswami says that in every Shastra, there's six or seven key verses. There's like an introductory verse, a concluding verse. There's a verse that tells you something unique about the scripture. There's a whole different categories. And Jiva Goswami identifies this verse which was, it's, I think, 2.237, I believe. He, em- he recognizes that this verse is the concluding verse of the Bhagavatam, even though it's just in the second canto. Because he says, by the time that this verse is spoken, all of Maharaj Brickett's main questions have been answered. And then Maharaj Brickett asks more questions. So one should drink the Bhagavatam through one's ear. So that's what Prabhupada is referring to here. The word Navista means that Sutta Goswami drank the juice of Bhagavatam through his ears. So Prabhupada is basically defining. First he says one must realize the text with proper attention. What does that mean, with proper attention? What it means is you're drinking the juice of Bhagavatam through your ears. That is the real process of receiving Bhagavatam. One should hear with rapt attention. So Prabhupada likes this word rapt. We're going to look, R-A-P-T, we're going to look at this in a moment. One should hear with rapt attention from the real person. And then he can at once Realize the presence of Lord Krishna in every page. The secret of knowing Bhagavatam is mentioned here. Now, how do you get this rapt attention? No one can give rapt attention who is not pure in mind. No one can be pure in mind who is not pure in action. 
No one can be pure in action who is not pure in eating, sleeping, fearing, and mating. But, somehow or other, if one hears with rapt attention from the right person. So it might happen. In other words, it might happen that even a person who's not pure in eating, sleeping, fearing, and mating, even a person who's not pure in action, even a person who's not pure in mind, can somehow or other hear with rapt attention. Does that happen sometimes? Can think of an example of somebody who was not pure in eating, sleeping, fearing, and mating, who was not pure in action, who was not pure in mind, who heard with rapt attention? Oh, my goodness. Yes, that's in the Gita Mahatmya. Yes. Okay, another example. <laughs> Some of us. A Jamil. A Jamil actually heard with rapt attention, even though he was not pure in action. Another example. Mugrari? I'm sure we could think of some more examples. Those are exceptions. Yeah, Juva was able to hear from Narada with rapt attention, although at that point he was not pure in action, or certainly wasn't pure in mind. So it's possible. So therefore, Prabhupada says, but somehow or other. So generally, we should understand that we have to become pure in eating, sleeping, fearing, and mating. Then we have to become pure in general action. Then we have to become pure in mind. And only then can we hear with rapt attention. Generally, that's going to be the progression. However, it's possible, because we're all pure souls, (laughs) somehow or other, that even without going through those intermediate steps, we can immediately come to rapt attention. It doesn't happen very often. And one should not intentionally remain impure in action with the hope that it will happen by magic. You know, these people will be named, they were not intentionally impure, thinking, well, I'm, what do we call that? What offense is that? It's one of the ten offenses. Or maybe two of them. Hmm? committing sinful activities on the strength of chanting or perhaps maintaining material attachments even after understanding so many instructions on this one. But somehow or other, if one hears with rapt attention from the right person, at the very beginning, one can assuredly see Lord Sri Krishna in person in the pages in the Bhagavatam. So one of the many places where Prabhupada says it doesn't have to be a long process. I was just recently asked at the loft in Auckland, how long does it take? So, well, that depends where you're starting from and how determined you are. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purpose of the first canto, third chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled Krishna is the source of all incarnations. Tatra kirta yato vipra vipra shara burite jisa aham chadyagamam tatra nivistas tada nugrahat soham vashravanishyami O learned Brahmanas, when Sukadeva Goswami recited Bhagavatam there in the presence of Emperor Brikshit, I heard him with rapt attention. And thus by his mercy I learned the Bhagavatam from that great and powerful sage. Now I shall try to make you hear the very same thing as I have learned it from him and as I have realized it. So what's Prabhupada saying here? Our goal of, of studying Bhagavatam should be to see Krishna. To see Krishna, and you have to have two things. You have to have 
got to be from the you got to hear from the right person, and you've got to hear with rapt attention, with rapt attention. You know, just I'm probably going to get in a lot of trouble, but probably never liked that stuff during class. He would stop it. He'd say, "Don't divert your attention." That was one aspect of rapt attention. I heard that from Hari Sari, from Sasukumaraj, from Hari Kesh. So I know sometimes people tell me, though, I can't listen unless I'm doing something with my hands. I say, otherwise my attention wanders. But as far as possible, we should at least physically be listening. Or Prabhupada really liked devotees taking notes in class. It's something he really appreciated in his own classes. So we all want to see the Lord, right? Everybody here want to see the Lord? George Harrison had that song, I really want to see you. Do you feel like that? You know, we, we're saying that in the Dhammadurastika, Ek Akshitrishtan, I just, let me see you once. Of course, Sanatana Goswami says that's kind of a tricky statement because what happens when you see the Lord once? Again. You want to see him again. <laughs> you're, not, you're not satiated. You're not, okay, one time, great. <laughs> you know, like if you want to see the landscapes and, or the sites in Melbourne. I, said that, I saw that, like we say, been there, seen that, done that. I took a picture already done. So Krishna's not like that. Ah, yes, our Krishna. <laughs> but the devotee wants to see Krishna. The devotee wants to see Krishna. The devotee wants to feel Krishna's presence. And that's very pleasing to Krishna. Just like I like it if somebody wants to see me and be with me. Right? If my friends say, I don't care if I see you or be with you. Who cares? I can see you or not. Then That's not very enlivening. So Krishna is very pleased when the devotees want to see him. And we're hearing here from Prabhupada, we hear this over and over and over again. You can see Krishna in the Hare Krishna mantra. You can see Krishna in the Bhagavatam. You can see Krishna in Prasadam. You can see Krishna face to face. He says, just like we're seeing each other, you can see Krishna. How many times does Prabhupada say this? Dozens or hundreds of times. And here Prabhupada's comparing, as is often done in the scripture, to eating and drinking. Right? That hearing the scripture is compared to here specifically drinking. Right? Pibantiye Bhagavata Atmanasatam. Sutta Goswami drank the juice of Bhagavatam through his ears. So let's look at this because this analogy is also compared with eating, that the way you know you're advancing, people ask this a lot. How do I know if I'm advancing? Prabhupada said, You don't need a certificate from others. You can tell just like you can tell if you're eating. You don't have to say, Am I eating? You feel nourishment. Satisfaction and relief from hunger. So in order for that to happen, you have to have A, real food, and B, you have to have proper digestion. So it has to be real food and proper digestion. Let's look at drink, because here specifically we're looking at drink. So the drink itself. What is the drink itself? You can go to the supermarkets now, at least in America, and you can buy stuff that's not juice. That's like juicy juice. They have stuff like that. Juice-flavored drink. No? Juice-flavored drink. And you look at the ingredients. Water, citric acid, high fructose corn syrup, artificial flavor, and artificial color. Do you have stuff like that in this country too? Right? You buy a gallon of it for a dollar or something like that. Fruit drink, fruity drink. So first you've got to make sure you have the real thing. Do you have fruity drink? <laughs> when I was uh, visiting Trinidad, 
at the Sunday feast, all of the preparations were made from food grown by the devotees. And the temple didn't have much property. Every devotee had their own little garden, and they would bring their fruit and veggies. And they served to every guest at the Sunday feast passion fruit juice. I said, what is this, passion fruit juice? I said, wow, we pay $2 for a little bottle of that in America. They said, oh, ours is rotting on the ground. <laughs> you know? So are you drinking passion fruit juice picked from the vines in your backyard, or are you drinking fruity juice? So first you've got to make sure, is, is it the real Bhagavatam? Is it, you know, are, are you hearing something that's bona fide? We also have some tendency among the, the Hindus, every religion, we're not just picking on Hindus, but that's what's relevant to us. And it's sort of seeped into Iskhan of telling all sorts of stories and stuff that you don't know where they're from. Oh, and this and this and this. And if you say, oh, excuse me, Prabhu Maharaj, you know, um, where's that story from? <laughs> oh, I heard it from some Rudbasi. So, you know, at least the way I was trained, I don't know, it's kind of sort of morphing into another sphere, but the way I was trained is you've got to make sure your sources are correct and you've got to give your sources. Not, you don't just pull something, you know, I heard this from somebody somewhere. So you've got to make sure you get the real passion fruit juice, don't get the juicy fruit. Make sure your scriptures are bona fide, make sure your translations are bona fide, make sure you know what the sources are that you're hearing. Then the next thing, when you're drinking some juice, is how is it prepared? So first you've got to make sure it's real fruit. Right? That's what you start with. So we have a real Shastra. Bhagavatam is a real Shastra. We're, we're fine with that. We know Bhagavatam, this is a real passion fruit juice, right out of the backyard, tree ripened, Galitam Palam, right? Real thing. But now how is it being prepared? Now you can take organically grown, tree ripened, right out of the backyard stuff and ruin it. Right? You ever had something that somebody took great ingredients and just ruined it? I remember once being served avocado halva. <laughs> so, you know, and you can also destroy the nutrient value. You know, like Ayurvedically, you're not supposed to boil honey and things like that. So if you prepare it incorrectly, even though you start with something that's right, you can destroy it by improper preparation. And we're also concerned with the consciousness of the cook. So even if it's the you know, tree-ripened, locally grown fruit, and even if it's prepared all according to Ayurvedic principles, if the cook is thinking, you know, oh great, you know, I'm going to sell this and make some money and buy some beer. So that's also going to affect your thinking. That's why Mahaprabhu says if you eat food cooked by non-devotees, your mind becomes wicked, another unpopular statement in the modern Hare Krishna movement. I went and stayed at the home of a devotee in India, and in the morning she's serving me cornflakes, and I said, no, thank you. And then she's serving me store-bought bread. I said, no, thank you. And after like two days, she said, you don't eat food from outside, do you? I said, no. And she said, well, I've hosted so many traveling preachers in my home, and you're the first one who doesn't eat this stuff. And I've even seen, <laughs> should I say this, at leadership meetings, and there's cornflakes. And sometimes I'll go and I'll say, um, uh, you know, you shouldn't serve this. And they said, no, some of the town presidents are asking for it. And I've been to preaching events where you'll say, wow, you really have some good cooks here. Look at the stuff. They say, well, no, this is from a bakery and this is from an Indian shop. And <laughs> I was in one temple where at the Sunday feast they served bread bought from a non-devotee bakery. 
That was when I learned to ask. Because the first time I ate it, I thought, served at a temple, Sunday feast. And then we were coming back from Harinam one time, and they said, we've got to stop at this bakery to buy something for Lord Nityananda's appearance day. And I said, that looks just like what you served the other day. <laughs> Do you regularly buy from this bakery? Hare Krishna. So, <laughs> it's also the consciousness. You know, in the early days of ISKCON, when Prabhupada had practically no rules and regulations, I mean, it was so liberal. That was on his sheet. Do not eat food cooked by non-devotees. The consciousness affects us. You know, this is empirical evidence. We know that some of these um, paranormal researchers, they take Kirillin photographs. You ever heard of that, where they can, like, photograph something's aura? I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but that's, they take these photographs, and they photograph food cooked in a factory or in a restaurant, and food cooked at home. You know, the mother's cooking for her family. And the food cooked, the mother for her family has this bright aura, and the food cooked in the shop or the factory, it has practically none. And my father used to run a food factory, and I used to visit it, and I used to see the consciousness of the people who worked in that factory. Before I joined the movement, I was a baker in a Marriott hotel, and I can tell you the consciousness of the people who work in those places. So we're interested in, it's got to be the real, it's got to be real food, not juicy juice, juice-flavored water. It's got to be prepared properly and it's got to be offered with proper consciousness. So this, this juice, this rasayana, this katamrita of the bhagavatam, bhagavatam is the real thing, we know that, but it's got to be prepared properly and it's got to be delivered in the proper consciousness. Otherwise, it can make you sick. Just like people are getting so many diseases from the food they're eating today. All right, then what about eating it? So you've got, you've got this juice got this passion fruit juice, came right out of the backyard, it's tree ripened, it was prepared according to Ayurvedic principles, the person who prepared it was in love with Krishna and offered it to Krishna with such love. Rupa Goswami has some prasadam offering prayers. And, you know, what we have our, our prayers, and the Prabhupada gave us Rupa Goswami's prasadam offering prayers is, my dear Lord, just like you ate the rice given by Sudama Brahmana and just as you ate the food prepared by the yogic Brahmin wives, you please also relish this offering I'm giving you. So the person who's cooking may be in that mood. You know, they may be meditating on Gorni Tai coming back from Harinam and being hungry. Right? And Radha and Krishna uh, sitting in the forest and enjoying their forest picnic and Jagannath being offered his 54 offerings and they may be offering in that mood. But if I'm eating it without the proper consciousness and without proper digestion, I don't get the full benefit of it. So I've got to have the bona fide speaker, right? But I've got to also be bona fide. First of all, physically, I have to ha my digestion has to be in working order. If my stomach doesn't produce enough, my gallbladder doesn't produce enough bile, and my stomach doesn't produce enough hydrochloric acid, then I can't digest it even if it's healthy. And not only does my physical body have to be working, my mind has to be in order. Like the mind of the cook has to be in order. My mind has to be in order. Have you ever eaten when you were in anxiety. What happens? You don't have much appetite. You often get a stomachache. I've, I've eaten sometimes when I was upset or angry and my stomach goes into knots and I can get pain in my stomach. So Prabhupada's talking about the two, two levels of qualifications of the hearer. One is on the platform of gross action. So we could compare that to the body having proper digestion. And the other is on the level of the mind. 
So pure body, pure mind. So just like you have to have proper physical digestion, and you also have to be peaceful. You know, most cultures, eating takes place with family. There's a friendly atmosphere. People understand. Or you go to a restaurant, they talk about the ambience. Everyone understands there has to be a certain mentality in order to digest. So I want to look for a minute at the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam, chapter 15, where Krishna tells Uddhava about the mystic powers. And there in text 19, Krishna says that when you meditate on Krishna as the sky, you know Krishna is also the sky, right? Kam means ether, the sky. That you can then hear the sound of all the living entities. So whatever anybody is speaking, if you want to hear when anybody is speaking anywhere, you know, we do it through our phones and our computers, but the yogis do it by meditating on how Krishna is the sky that contains all sound. And if they, if they put their mind into the sky, which contains all sound, they can hear any sound. And the acharyas commenting on this verse say, if you meditate not just on Krishna as the material sky, but if you meditate on Krishna as the Hare Krishna mantra, or if you meditate on the words of Bhagavatam, what you will hear is not the speaking of all the living entities in the universe, the material universe, you will hear the speaking of the living entities in the spiritual world. Like Nirotama Das Thakur describes, hasya pari hasya sambhasane, laughing and joking and talking with one another. This is the pouring a shower of nectar. Let me always have that in my mind, the talking of the resonance of Vrindavan. Just like Vishnu Chakravati Chakra writes so many purports where he describes the conversations of the resonance of Vrindavan. So by hearing the Bhagavatam, by hearing the Hare Krishna mantra, one will be able to enter into the spiritual world. You say, see Krishna. Krishna doesn't just mean Krishna. Prabhupada says Krishna is never alone. When you see Krishna, you're also going to see Krishna's flute, and you're going to see Krishna's peacock feather, and you're going to see Krishna's cows, and you're going to see Madhya Soda, and Srimati Radharani, and Malita Devi, and Subal, and everybody. You're going to see the river Jamuna, and you will not only see, but you will hear them. So this is what the Acharyas describe. This, this is what we want. Isn't this what we want? Prabhupada talks about spiritual television. This, we want to be absorbed. That's our whole Krishna conscious process, to absorb our mind in Krishna, to be in deep meditation. All right, so first we make sure we're hearing from the right source. We make sure we're hearing actually Bhagavatam. We who preach Bhagavatam, we really have to have our lives in such a way that we're pure in eating, sleeping, fearing, and defending. And those who are listening should also be pure in that way. Let's look for a minute at these, at these things. Pure in mating, fearing, sleeping, and eating. So pure in mating, what would that mean? Right, that sex life is just within marriage for children, and not just technically, but one is offering as a jagya. Prabhupada says that sex life within marriage for procreation is like prasadam. It is offered in jagya. This is for the pleasure of Krishna. Of course, then, his husband and wife also enjoy, like we also enjoy the prasadam. It's not that we don't enjoy the prasadam. But we're preparing the prasadam for Krishna's pleasure. And we're, whatever enjoyment we get from the prasadam, we take that as his mercy. That's prasadam, means mercy. Radhanath Swami said, you worship the prasadam by your relishing it. Oh, this is, 
What did Mahaprabhu say? This is the taste of Krishna's saliva. It's tasting God. So pure in mating means not just that you're following a particular ritual externally, that's a good start, but it also means that in your consciousness, you're saying, Krishna, this is for your pleasure. I'm offering this to you. I'm offering my body. I'm offering the relationship with my spouse uh, to you that I'm offering as a, a sacrifice. Okay? That's the, the mentality. And the mother, when she's pregnant, when she's giving birth, when she's nursing the baby, she's thinking, I'm giving my body as a sacrifice to Krishna to please his devotee. Okay, what about pure in fearing? Interesting, Prabhupada uses the word fearing here instead of defending. How do you become pure in fearing? Yeah, by fearing Maya. It says, Devaki, being afraid of material life in the form of Kamsa, therefore was able to kill the, have the six enemies of lust, anger, envy, greed, illusion, and madness killed by Kamsa. So one should be afraid of forgetting Krishna. Just like if I love someone in this world, I should be afraid of displeasing them. You know, I, I want to be careful that I don't hurt them. Okay, and should we fear anything else? By the way, what this is really interesting. Material consciousness actually is fear. That's what material consciousness is. It's fear. So we agree with Winston Churchill that the only thing one has to fear is fear itself. So the only thing I should be afraid of is becoming fearful and thinking Krishna is not going to take care of me. Because of the six symptoms of surrender, one of them is Krishna will maintain me and Krishna will protect me. So Krishna is going to protect me. Krishna is going to maintain me. The only thing I should be afraid of is becoming fearful and thinking, who's going to take care of me? Who's going to take care of me? I should be afraid of falling into that consciousness. So to be pure in fearing would mean I'm only afraid of fear and I'm fully under the shelter of Krishna. Mare Krishna Rake K, Rake Krishna Mare K. Sampare Vi Pare Jivane Malini. You want to kill me, you want to save me, you know, <laughs> you want to give me a big position with respect and everybody likes me, or you want everybody to say I'm just a dog and throw me out on the street, okay, whatever you want. I'm still going to serve you. You want to feed me nice prasadam, you want to feed me, you know, leftover rice, nobody saved me a plate, okay, I'm still going to serve you. You're going to give me a healthy body, you're not going to give me, I'm not afraid of anything. That I'm not afraid of getting old, I'm not afraid of getting sick, I'm not afraid of being rejected by my friends, I'm not afraid of anything except getting into a consciousness of fear due to forgetfulness of you. Because I know that you're going to take care of me and whatever situation you put me in is going to be for my benefit. The opposite of fearfulness is peace. Alright, how do we become pure in sleeping? Dreaming of Krishna. That's not, meant, not being so easy to engineer. <laughs> Although I've heard a lot of devotees say if you read Krishna book right before you go to bed, you kind of up your chances of dreaming about Krishna. Pure and sleeping. Yes? Okay. Sleeping to rejuvenate the body for devotional service rather than sleeping as a form of sense gratification. And sleeping what we need for our health, which may vary from one person to another, by the way, and may vary at different times of our life. So there may be some times of our life when we have to sleep more than others. You know, teenagers need more sleep, pregnant women need more sleep, sick people need more sleep. And if you don't get enough sleep at those times, you're going to get sick. And I, was, I just met a devotee in Auckland who's 
Because of his health condition, he actually is unable to sleep. He sleeps 20 minutes to 4 hours a day, and he just cannot sleep more than that. So I've also met one devotee who uh, works at a night job as a security guard, and all day long he's distributing prasadam. And I finally said to him, Prabhu, do you sleep? He said, oh yeah. How much do you sleep? Oh, about 20 minutes a day. Ever any more than that? He said, yeah, about every six or seven days I need to sleep six hours. I said, how long have you been doing that? Oh, you know, about eight or ten years. I said, are you like spaced out or no? <laughs> so, but that, you can't imitate that. You can't say, well, I'm going to live like that. You'll get all kinds of horrible psycho- psychological problems, not just physical problems. It will affect your, your brain. So sleeping also as a service. By the way, on the higher platforms of Krishna consciousness, the devotees who are actually self-realized, they don't enter into a deep sleeping or dreaming consciousness. They're in the the fourth dimension. They're in what's called Turiya. So we say there's waking consciousness, dreaming consciousness, and deep sleep consciousness. But Krishna and the self-realized souls are in a different level of consciousness. And uh, when they're sleeping, they're in a certain state of trance but they're not sleeping as we know sleeping. Okay, pure in eating. That was the easiest one, so I saved that one for last. <laughs> what does it mean to be pure in eating? Eating prasada. And, sorry, this Prabhupada talks about eating here, so, so I'm talking about eating here. So this means also what you eat, how it was prepared, and what consciousness it was prepared, and in what consciousness you're eating it. Okay, we might say you're a devotee in good standing if you go buy chips and offer them in the sky saying Sri Vishnu, I don't know. <laughs> but there are levels in prasadam. All these things are levels. So the highest level would be the food is cooked by duly second-initiated devotees in the proper consciousness, offered to properly worship deities at regulated times following all the proper procedures, and you honor it at scheduled times with due meditation that this is a gift from Radhabalava. is feeding you. How wonderful, how kind my Lord is. That although I'm such a rascal, I deserve to be kicked out on the street. We all know that, right? We don't got to admit that, but we all know in our heart of hearts, at least I do, maybe all of you are different, but at least I know in my heart of hearts that I'm a grade A number one rascal. So even though I'm just qualified to be kicked out on the street, I have no love for Krishna. Everything I do is contaminated by material desire. It's really awful, isn't it? Still, Krishna feeds me and he takes care of me. Isn't that nice? I think, what would he do if I was really became a devotee? I hear Bhakti Chiru Swami saying, the more you advance in Krishna consciousness, the more you feel that you're not in Krishna consciousness. <laughs> so. so eat in that proper consciousness of gratitude. Think about how Mahaprabhu and Lord Nityananda honored Prasadam. Right. So that's pure in eating. What you eat, who cooked it, what is your consciousness on, on eating it? All right, then Prabhupada said, first you have to have those four things pure, then you can become pure in action. What does it mean to be pure in action? Well, that would help. (laughs) Just do what Krishna wants from you. Any other thoughts? Not doing anything against the will of Krishna, so that was positive and negative. By the way, Krishna's will is pretty big. Prabhupada said Krishna consciousness is not narrow or stereotyped. So there's a lot of actions you can do that are within Krishna's will. You know, you can't run a liquor shop or a 
brothel or you can't be like a mafia head, but, you know, except for gross sinful activities. So you don't engage in sinful activities to maintain yourself. You know, I, I told one devotee once he was working in a convenience shop where they sold things that had to do with breaking all the regulated principles. You know, they sold meat and lottery tickets and contraceptives and alcohol. And I said, just quit your job. He said, how else will I live? I said, just trust it, because that was like what McGrory said, how will I live? Mm-hmm. And you trust that Krishna will, will take care of you. And he found a much better job. So have the source of your income be something that's not, I mean, in Kali Yuga, everything has some harm. Krishna says every, every endeavor is covered by fault, a smoke covers fire. So you, there's no way you're going to find a way of living that's 100% pious in Kali Yuga. It's just not going to happen. But as far as possible, have a pious way of, of living. Don't intentionally do any harm to others. And then offer everything. Think, I'm doing this for Krishna. I'm doing this for Krishna. Bhaktivinoda has this in Gita Mala. Whatever little service I do, I'm going to do with full attention to every detail. And there's a wonderful letter Prabhupada wrote to Jaipatakamars that surrender to Krishna means it doesn't matter what I'm doing, how big or how small. I do it with full attention to every detail. I really think, as Prabhupada says in the Gita Purport, whatever job I've been given, I've been given by Rishikesh, the master of the senses. One of the qualities of a devotee is daksha. He's expert. So pure in action means, I'm doing this for Krishna. Let me become expert. If I'm a manager, let me learn how to become an expert manager. Not just, well, I'm chanting my rounds and following the principles and going to Mangal Artik, so I'm sure it'll, Krishna just, Tesham Sadhu Yukanam Bajatam Vitapurukam, he'll just give me all the. No, it's our duty to become expert. You're running the school, do it expertly. You're cooking, do it expertly. You're working in a bank, do it, do it expertly. You're cleaning the temple room floor, do it expertly. I'm doing this as Krishna's floor. This is my job for Krishna. Then what does it mean to become pure in mind? By the way, what we just went over so far was Bhagavad Gita 12.9. No, 10. Bhagavad Gita 12.10, and maybe part of 12.9. That's what we just discussed. Becoming pure in eating, sleeping, fearing, and mating. Becoming pure in action. That's Bhagavad Gita 12.10, and perhaps part of 12.9. Then 12.9, Abhyas Yoga. Krishna is really focusing on becoming pure in mind. How do you become pure in mind? What does that mean? Hmm? Well, the pure actions enable you to become pure in mind. Very difficult, not impossible, as Prabhupada says also here, not impossible, but very difficult to become pure in mind without having pure actions. It's going back to the analogy of, of digesting your passion fruit juice. So if your physical digestion isn't working, then it's difficult to have a peaceful mind also. You know, you generally want to get the gross thing together first before you can get the subtle thing together. So what does it mean to be pure in mind? This is an important question because Prabhupada says we have to become pure in mind to have rapt attention and we, in order to have to see Krishna we have to have rapt attention. What does pure in mind mean? Purely motivated. I just want to please Krishna. Or at least I just want to want to please Krishna. Or at least I just want to want to want to please Krishna. So that's called immature pure devotional service. But it's still pure devotional service because my goal is still pleasing Krishna. So I I somehow or other have some desire to please Krishna. Any other qualities of pure in mind? 
self-satisfaction, like the austerities of the mind. Gravity, simplicity, yes? Oh, that's very nice. Pure in mind is not to meditate on sinful actions. One reason why we don't want to have Kali Yuga's general plugged in in our house. (laughs) Right? Because then you're letting in your house people you'd never let in your house. You understand what I'm saying? You're you're, You're having in your living room people are shooting guns and having illicit sex and drinking alcohol and if someone said, would you actually let those people walk into your house and do that in your house? Would you let people start shooting guns in your house and pulling out their whiskey and having their illicit sex on your floor? And I mean, you know, get, get out of here. <laughs> so, but we're letting them in and then they're in the mind. And then we're meditating on them. So, yes, very nice. Pure mind. Any other? I really like the self-satisfaction. I'd say one element of a pure mind is also this part of this being pure in theory. That being peaceful. You know, I made up a little mantra for myself. Everything will be okay, and even if it seems like it's not going to be okay, it'll still be okay. (laughs) Or I heard from one devotee, one I really liked. In the end, everything will be okay, so if it's not okay, it's not the end. I I really like that one, too. And that way you're just peaceful. You know, somebody insulted you, but okay, everything will still be okay. Or I insulted somebody else, and now I feel ashamed. Okay, but it'll it'll still be okay. We'll work it out. We'll get there. You know, I didn't get anything to eat. They forgot to feed me. Sometimes that happens. (laughs) But no, it ends up to be okay. I haven't withered away. You know, or people forget to pick me up at the airport. So when I was traveling with Johnny, I was telling him, you know, you've got to be prepared. This might happen. They might forget to pick us up at the airport and we call the temple and all the phones are engaged and you can't get through to anybody. And he said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm here. You know. <laughs> and that's also part of purity of mind. You're just peaceful and satisfied. Whatever Krishna arranges, it's okay. Krishna's taking care of me. He knows best. I don't have to make all these plans and this and that and be so attached and it has to happen exactly this way, this way, and that way, and I'm going to be the controller and, you know, I'm Garbarvi Muda, I'm going to control everything. No, you're just like, okay, I'm going to serve Krishna, I'm taking care of Krishna. He's the best employer and he's going to take care of me. And if sometimes he appears not to take care of me, well, it's all right. It's okay. He knows what's going on. All right, then rapt attention. So when you have that, Pure and eating, sleeping, theory. So oh, well, first of all, we've got to have the bona fide source, bona fide speaker. That's got to be together. Then I've got my eating, sleeping, fearing, mating pure. I've got my actions pure. I've got my mind pure. Then I can do rapt attention. I can drink that passion fruit juice with meditating on it, with, with peacefulness. So this word rapt is very interesting. The word rapt, the etymology of the word is originally it was a past tense of the word rape, which originally meant to kidnap or carry away. So the original meaning of the word rap is you get carried away. You get stolen. And it usually refers to some religious carrying away. You're transported. It also is related to the word rapture, which means ecstasy. Or the Christians have this concept of rapture where half the people disappear into the sky. 
Yeah, not really. <laughs> it's interesting. They, they take that from a verse where Jesus says two people are working the field side by side. One stays and one is taken away. Which reminds us of Krishna's verse that what's day to the self-realized person is night to the materialistic. In other words, two people are doing the same activity and one is going to the spiritual world and one's staying in the material world. Not that all of a sudden people start floating up in the sky like they're made out of helium. But this idea of rapture that I'm really, I'm really absorbed. I'm taken away. The way people become artificially when they watch movies or play computer games. You know, artificially, mechanically, your mind is taken away by books and movies and computer games, right? You lose your awareness of your surroundings. You lose your sense of identity. And you're somewhere else. You're taken away. You're wrapped in attention. And they do this by all sorts of technological gimmicks. <laughs> by moving the picture very fast and things like that. But the main way we want to become wrapped is by attachment. <coughs> Just like in the seventh chapter, Maya Shakta Manapartha, to become attached to Krishna. Anything we're attached to, our attention is wrapped on that. Isn't it like that? Positive or negative attachment. If I'm afraid of something, worried about something, or I want something, then that's what's going to absorb my whole attention, no matter where I am and what I'm doing. So by purifying our mind and body, this process of sadhana bhakti is meant to purify our mind and body so that we can enter into rapt attention, which is Bhagavad Gita 12.9. And what does entering in rapt attention do? It increases our desire, our itcha. So then we can actually go into Bhagavad Gita 12.8 and be absorbed in love for Krishna, which is our supreme goal of life. And if you're absorbed in love for Krishna, then Krishna comes, just like we see people who love us. We naturally want to visit and talk to and be with those who love us. So when we love Krishna, Krishna naturally wants to be with us and therefore he manifests himself out of the pages of the Bhagavatam. So I'm sorry I can't have any discussions today because we have to leave for the airport. I want to thank you very much for having me here and tolerating me and engaging me in some nice service of hearing and speaking this wonderful Bhagavatam, Kalitam Palam, the cream of the cream of the Vedic literature. Thank you. Hare Krishna.